You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, just go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram, or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. I hope you are snagging some fizzy housewives inspired rose for yourself, packing a punch at 14% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar. I designed this with my pals at Elix. We designed them around some fun, some of my fun, my favorite, most iconic housewives moments. So go ahead and snag yours at nofilterwine.com. Head over to nofilterwine.com. I'm so excited about today's guest. She is the Tiger Queen. Her prowess for saving the big cats took center stage in Netflix's hit series, Tiger King, and her dance moves made headlines on Dancing with the Stars. Now she's here to help me celebrate my 400th episode of Hashtag No Filter. Please welcome CEO of Big Cat Rescue, Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's so good to be here with you, Zach. I am so excited. Carol, you have no idea how excited I am. You were my favorite in Tiger King. I literally made my mother, I just need to show you, I made my mother dress up as you for our our Christmas card last year. We do a video and we parodied 2021 and I made sure she played you and she had oh all my of her cats. <laughs> she loves cats. And so I was like, she has to play Carol Baskin because 2020, you were the queen of 2020, Carol. Well, that cat was quite the accessory. <laughs> it's funny. We actually call her um, that cat specifically is called Big Key. And um, it's because she's the biggest cat there. And so she's the queen of my mother's kingdom. <laughs> Um, but so first of all, how have you been? How is 2021 going? How is Big Cat Rescue? Well, I think 2021 has been better than 2020, even though we're all dealing with the Delta variant. I, it just seems like things are not as scary as they were back then. And the cats are doing well at the sanctuary. We're finally getting a little bit of cool weather now. So that's been nice. That's good. So for people that, you know, obviously we saw you um, on Netflix, but can you explain what Big Cat Rescue is, what your mission is, and how you're actually supporting all these big, cool cats and kittens? Big Cat Rescue started in 1992 with the rescue of a single bobcat that led us to rescuing 56 cats who were going to be killed for their fur from a fur farm. And we brought out 28 the next year and then the next year, 22 off of another fur farm. And then people started calling us and saying, would you take my lion? Would you take my tiger? And so we're about to celebrate this weekend. We're going to be celebrating our 29th year in business. And it's been an amazing 29 years of learning about all of these issues that these exotic cats face and figuring out a way to try and fix them. So I think that Fur farming is finally a thing of the past. People aren't wearing cat fur anymore as of about 2018. And I think people are finally getting the message that these cubs that are bred for pay-to-play schemes are suffering and should not be used that way. And they're not serving any conservation value. So people are learning that they shouldn't be bred for life in cages. And I'm really excited that our society has moved along as fast as it has. 
<laughs> even though it was nearly 30 years, it was still fast in the the uh, scheme of things. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, because I feel like it was so common to wear cat fur. And, you know, now we're, you know, pleather has become a thing and faux fur has become a thing. And that's kind of nice because it's like we didn't really need to be harming animals in order to look cute or get warm. Yeah, and the synthetics are so much prettier. You can have them in different colors and patterns than you would ever see in, in nature. And they don't smell bad when they start to rot. So it's it's really good. No, you are like the queen of all the different cat patterns. You always have such different fun and funky patterns that you're wearing. Um, is that kind of, did that start because of like having Big Cat Rescue and you were trying to promote it and you wanted to be known as the cat lady? Or was that just, you know, you just love that style? You know, as a child, I really gravitated to black. Everything I wore was black. And then I went through a pink phase and everything was pink. And then when I started trying to go to um, speak on behalf of the cats, speaking in front of Congress, speaking in front of state agencies, I felt like if I wore the patterns of the cats, then as soon as they saw me, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're going to be talking about cats now. So it was kind of a uniform to keep them reminded that this was important. And today I am wearing actually... A cat. Uh, I love <laughs> oh, you can see where the ears. <laughs> I love it. Um, so were you expecting Tiger King to blow up the way that it did? Well, actually, we worked for five years on that program thinking that it was going to be like Blackfish. Did you see Blackfish? Mm-hmm. And so what Blackfish did was it exposed the abuse of orcas. And as a result, SeaWorld had to change. They couldn't take them away from their pods anymore. They couldn't breed them for life in captivity because people didn't want that. And so we were being told that Tiger, it wasn't called Tiger King. It was called Stolen World. Um, That's what they told us anyway. We were told that it was going to be the big cat version of Blackfish and that people would see all of this abuse and they wouldn't do it anymore. And that's not at all what came out. In fact, when the teasers came out on Netflix, we actually called the the filmmakers and we're like, who's working on that film? Because we haven't heard anything about that thing that has something to do with Joe Exotic and me having a feud with him. I've never even talked to the man. And all of a sudden they didn't want to talk to us. And so we sat there and binge watched it like everybody else did. And we were just, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and said, what a missed opportunity because they just made it about a bunch of crazy characters instead of about the real issues. So did you know that all these other players were going to be part of the documentary that they were producing or was it just focused on you when they originally came to you? No, what they told us they were going to do is expose all of these horrible places that were breeding the cubs and exploiting them for these pay-to-play props. And so we expected that they would be going to all of those facilities and gathering footage of how abusive that was. And they gathered a little bit of that, but for the most part, they seem to have focused on the personalities of people and not on the big cats. I think the big cats were really the biggest losers in the entire production because it took the focus off of them. Do you think that that was the intention and they really did want to create this expose documentary and then they just found all of these interesting characters and just felt like this would have been a more compelling story to tell? Or do you think that that was always their agenda coming into it? I don't know what their agenda was, but I know that they showed me the sizzle reel and they showed me the trailers that they did. And all of those were along the lines of what we had talked about. They showed 
animals being abused. They showed experts talking about why that was bad. And then they were trying to sell it to CNN and then CNN turned them down. And so they ended up selling it to Netflix. And I think when they couldn't sell that program, that that's when they decided to turn it into the freak show that it was because people would pay to see something that entertained them. They didn't want to be educated. And so my guess is that's when they made the changes in the way that they were editing the footage that they had. But, you know, if you talk to my husband, he says if they were really animal lovers to begin with, why would they try to make it look like zoos and sanctuaries were the same when they're nothing like each other? We're philosophically miles apart. Zoos are in the business of breeding wild animals so that people can come pay to see them in cages. Sanctuaries are in the business of ending the abuse so that big cats aren't in cages. The only thing we have in common is that there's cats in cages at both places, but one place is breeding and buying and selling, the zoos are, and sanctuaries are rescuing them from horrible situations, and in our case, trying to change the laws so that people can't buy, breed, and sell them. So it did a, a horrible disservice to all of the work that good people are doing to try and end the abuse. So being that zoos are so common, like we go to them on field trips as kids, you know, parents take their kids to visit zoos all the time. So are you for, you know, kind of abolishing the traditional zoo approach and maybe having more animal sanctuaries throughout the country? Not having more sanctuaries. There isn't, if we stop breeding them in captivity, they will die out in very short order. They live at Big Cat Rescue into their late teens and early 20s, but it's because of the level of care we give them. Most zoos, they only live to be 10 or 12 and private owners even less than that. So I think the only way that we are going to save these big cats from extinction is to save them in the wild, in the ecosystems where they live. None of these cats that are being bred in captivity can ever be set free. So they don't serve any conservation value. My actual vision for the world is to have internet streaming, 360 degree cameras in the wild where these big cats live. And you pay for a subscription feed to those cameras. So like if you wanna pay for the camera that's down at the edge of the riverbank where the tiger is known to always go and get a drink in the morning, then you're paying a little bit every month to have that subscription feed. But I see us using smart contracts on the blockchain to be able to direct 80 or 90 percent of the money to those people who actually live there near the tigers so that they all become game wardens who are working to protect those cats where they live and making sure that poachers aren't killing them and making sure that there's plenty of natural forests for them and that the waters are clean. And, and by doing that, then everybody gets to live a better lifestyle. The animals get to live in the wild where they really belong. And we get to see them doing the things that are natural. The things you see animals doing in zoos is it's just their stereotypic boredom and they're cage crazy. That's not teaching children anything about those animals other than that it's okay to take away the rights of others if it amuses you. That's a horrible message to teach yeah. your kids. But I think zoos have a purpose in that not everybody can afford a $500 headset to see that. So if you pay your $5 and you go to the zoo and you use their headsets, maybe they have an immersive experience where you go into what used to be the tiger cage, but now it's like this big 
um, auditorium where you put the headset on and they're blowing cold air on you and you're smelling the curry from the monk's tent next door and you're seeing the snow leopard in the wild chasing blue sheep or racing their young. That immersive experience is something you can't really get at home. So there's still a reason to go to the zoo and to pay the zoos and to keep all those people employed. But animals don't need to suffer for us to be educated. Or entertained, really. It's all about entertainment. It's not like anybody's learning anything at a zoo. Right. So I know the pursuit of joining the documentary wasn't the celebrity that you've now gained, but has the exposure from Netflix been able to at least support your philanthropic efforts? Like, are more people supporting Big Cat Rescue? Has it brought some awareness to the issue? You know, I think the only scene in Tiger King that did any service to the cats was when that mother tiger was delivering babies and they were using that hook to drag the baby across the rocks and then they squeezed its little head through the bars and immediately they wanted to know did they have a very uh, lucrative female or was it another male and they were so excited because they had a female to exploit people saw that and they hated it and i think that's the best thing that came out of tiger king is so many people really hated what they saw there and started questioning whether or not these animals should be bred for life in cages. Aside from that, Tiger King did absolutely nothing for the tigers or for us. And if you think about that, I mean, your mother apparently is a lot smarter than most people because most people came away from Tiger King thinking that I killed my husband. And who's going to support a sanctuary where you think that the founder is a murderer? So that was not helpful at all. And the same thing goes for the federal bill that we're working on. We're trying to ban cub petting and phase out private ownership. Well, who wants to be associated with somebody who's been portrayed around the globe as being a murderer when it's, you know, it's a bunch of animal abusers making such a ridiculous accusation. But most people didn't see through that like your mother obviously did. So, but you also ended up going on Dancing with the Stars. That must have been a great opportunity for you to promote. I mean, obviously, they didn't bill you as, you know, a husband killer. You know, you were Carol Baskin, star of Tiger King. What was that? Or what was it like when you first got that call to join the show? Were you excited? Were you like, why are they picking me? I thought they were punking me. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've never danced a day in my life. It was considered a sin in my family to dance. I didn't even dance at my own wedding when I was old enough to get married. I never did. And when they contacted me, it was right after, I don't know if you were aware of the um, guys from the UK who had contacted me and said that they were from the Jimmy Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they pranked you. Yeah. So the woman who called me from Dancing with the Stars said her name was Deanna Katz. And I thought, what are the chances that her name is really Cats? I mean, this has got to be just another prank because they wouldn't contact me about dancing. Everybody knows I can't dance. But she convinced me that she was really the producer. And um, they said that what they would do is allow me to use their platform to talk about the real issues. So in addition to the show, talking about it in the little packages that they did, they would set up all of these amazing media tours for me where they'd have like 10 different reporters come in and we'd just bang, 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 knock them all out. And then the next you know, group of people from uh, TV media or radio media. And every time that I wasn't rehearsing for the next show, I was in those media, um, I forget what they call them, but 
it's not media roundups, but anyway, it was where I was able to talk about the issues and talk about the federal bill. So they really pulled out all the stops to help me there. That's good. Did you expect to go all the way? I mean, you only made it, you were the second couple eliminated, but I feel like I was there dialing and every every week voting for you, but did you expect to go all the end or were you more like, you know what, this is a great awareness opportunity. It'll be fun. Let me just see where it goes. I'm pretty competitive. And so my mother always said, you can do anything you set your mind to. And even though she didn't want me dancing on TV because she still thought it was a sin, I felt like I didn't think it was a sin. And so I thought, you know, if I can stay in this thing to the very end, then I can be talking about cats through the entire season. This is great. We'll be having all these cat songs. People will be talking about cats, will be wanting to protect cats. So I was determined that I was going to stay in that show. And I mean, I danced in my apartment until my feet were bleeding and blistered <laughs> because I wanted to stay in. But I, I proved that there are some things you just cannot teach an old dog to do. And I could not be taught how to dance. Did Howard like your new moves? Your husband, Howard? <laughs> you know, it's always been his goal that once we pass this federal bill to ban cub petting and phase out private ownership that he wanted to for both of us to go and learn how to dance. So what was your relationship with Joe Exotic? I feel like the documentary really tried to link the two of you together, but we didn't, what's from your, you know, understanding of Joe, what was your history prior to being featured in this film or series? I had never even spoken to him. So apparently in 2004, a reporter reached out to me and said, there's a sanctuary in Oklahoma and they just had this lion cub born and it's all deformed. Um, from inbreeding. And what do you think about that? And I said, well, sanctuaries don't breed cats. So I don't think it's a sanctuary. Well, that's all I said. I didn't know who it was or anything. And I didn't remember that conversation at all. But apparently that's what started Joe on his <laughs> rage. And he didn't come up on my radar again until probably about 2009. And part of what I do is I track all of these people that are abusing and exploiting big cats on a website called 911 Animal Abuse. And what I do is I try to connect the people by name to all of their aliases, because whenever they get a bad citation for doing something bad to an animal, they just change the name of their show so that people don't know who it is or the name of their park. And so on there, I was detailing all of these different people. Well, what I discovered one day is that 21 of these different organizations were Joe. Mm. And I showed it to my husband. I was like, look at this. There's the same guy wearing leather pants and handcuffs at all of these different things. And yet there's big banners up having different names on all of the different. It, he was going out to malls and doing cub petting at the malls. And so my husband took over that page and he organized it, you know, saying, okay, all these 21 aliases are this one guy named Joe Vogel. And then after that, Joe, of course, just started, you know, ranting and raving and on his um, YouTube channel was constantly just carrying on and cursing my name and, you know, shooting at effigies. And you probably saw some of the craziness in the show, um, putting signs around, uh, mannequins that he had hung saying that it was big cat rescue and PETA and all kinds of craziness. And I just didn't pay him any attention because there's a lot of bad guys out there and I'm going after all of them, but my husband paid attention. And so he was tracking all of this and keeping track of everything that happened. And so 
whenever I would go to like a Florida Wildlife Commission meeting to talk about why people shouldn't be shooting feral cats because the state wanted to make that a sport. And it was like, that is not a sport. And the people who abuse wild animals would show up because they don't want any, they feel like it's a slippery slope. If you're going to protect those feral cats, then you might want them not to have tigers in their backyard, which of course I don't want them to have in their backyard. (laughs) And so I was being constantly threatened and harassed and sometimes even had to hire bodyguards to go to those different things. So that's why Howie's always kind of, Howie's my husband, um, keeping an eye on what these people are up to. When the police told us that, well, it was actually the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service told us that there was a murder for hire plot. I was like, yeah, we've known about that for years. And it, you know, it was news to them, but it wasn't news to me because people had called me over the years saying that Joe had tried to hire them to kill me. That started back in 2015. Wow. So what do you think of him wanting to be pardoned now that he's gained this fame and notoriety? Well, I'm glad that Trump did not pardon him. And I don't think any president before or after Trump would ever pardon somebody like Joe Exotic. That's just not a good career move. (laughs) What do you think about this fame that he's gone? Do you think he it's helping defeat? It's obviously feeding his ego. But do you think that this could help him get back out? And I mean, we saw what he his kind of, you know, the narcissism that he had and how much it drove a lot of his crazy antics. What do you think of, of this newfound fame that Tiger King has given him? I don't think you get out of jail for being famous. I think the facts are what put him in jail and that's what will keep him in jail. The, the um, jurors who had spoken up after the jury or after the conviction said it wasn't because you've probably heard Joe saying that he's been framed and set up and all yeah. of that kind of crazy stuff. And they said the person who put Joe in jail, in their opinion, was Joe. It was his own words. It was the things he said in the tapes and when he thought nobody was listening that convicted him. And he testified in his own behalf. And they're like, it didn't take them even four hours to make up their mind because it was so clearly the right thing to do. How do you feel about how people reacted to you in the series? You know, it's kind of sad to me that people would watch a TV show and just believe what they saw without any kind of thinking about that. (laughs) Um, It it kind of, it it makes me doubt the, the future of our planet that people are so easily misled. One of the things I find really interesting though, and it's taken me a while to kind of wrap my head around this, is this idea of confirmation bias. Mm. When people, and I'll give the producers of Tiger King credit, they did a masterful job of making people believe something that wasn't true. And if you think, if you actually sit down and you watch Tiger King, you won't hear me say anything that makes you think I'm a murderer. What they did was they would line up all of these animal abusers saying, I think she killed her husband. I think she fed him to the tigers. I think he's under the septic tank. I think she threw him out of a plane. And then they would cut to an image of me walking in slow motion and looking angrily at the camera. 
I wasn't saying anything. I didn't know that they were going to be juxtapositioning these images of me against what these people were doing. But so many people after the show said, yeah, she just looks guilty. And it's like, <laughs> just walking and they're slowing me down in slow motion to make me look weird. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the fact that people didn't see what was being done to them. And then there was that whole thing with everybody got on the meme bandwagon, yeah. all of those horrible memes that everybody was creating and sharing. And they thought it was so fun. And they were making up these horrible songs and playing them on TikTok and teaching their three-year-olds to dance these, these dance moves to a song about a woman killing her husband. And everybody who participated in that, they can't even when produced when they are um, when they have evidence produced to them showing them that these things were lies and that these things were taken out of context after they've participated in being so cruel they can't say i was wrong so the only thing they can do is like dig their heels in and just insist well she must know more than she's saying and feel like somehow that justifies their bad behavior so it's that confirmation bias that really has uh, affected me more than anything else because I look at that across everything against politics yeah. and racial lines and all of the different things that we disagree about out there. I think people can't come together because of the fact that they've taken a position and been so wrong <laughs> that they can't admit that they were wrong. So you definitely did not kill your husband, Carol. I was the only person trying to protect my husband. Everybody else was taking advantage of his dementia and nobody had ever given any credence to that handful of animal abusers saying that until Tiger King managed to create that narrative in such a way that people believed it. And once they've believed it, they can't walk back from it. They can't look at any of the evidence. You know, some of the biggest evidence is so easy to prove is people say, well, she she married a millionaire. No, I didn't. He could barely read or write. I made us millionaires. Well, if I'm the person who made us millionaires, then I've got no reason to kill him. Yeah. And I had no reason to kill him. I didn't kill him. So it, if you just look at the public records, you can see that that wasn't true. And yet people will not look at it. They will not go on their computer to the Hillsborough County property appraiser's office and look at the detail because it proves they were wrong and they can't be proved wrong. But it's also interesting, though, that it took one episode of one series on Netflix to convince people that you, you know, really did that you had this whole plot and you put him in the meat grinder. Like, it's so specific and it really just took one hour of television to convince people. And the memes were very like very there was a lot of conviction behind believing that they're like there are only two things that I know this and that Carol Baskin killed her husband where mm. what did that trigger inside of you because I would just imagine that that would bring out a lot of pain for me from the experience that I had to live through and now having to relive it and be on this public scale of now being labeled as a murderer like what was the emotional and mental process for you as this was all playing out. I think what hurt the most about that is that I do feel responsible because I was trying to get him to a doctor and I had taken him in and gotten an MRI. I had taken him to a psychiatrist who had 
um, diagnosed him as being bipolar, but he hid the diagnosis from me. I didn't find the paperwork until after he was missing and I was looking for clues as to where he was missing or why he was missing or where he might be. And that was when I found it in his stuff. And I was trying to get him to an Alzheimer's specialist because I thought that that was what was going on based on some other people telling me that he had all of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. And yet that morning when he walked out the door, I remember thinking, I really need to make sure somebody is keeping an eye on him because he would just get lost. He'd go out and get into dumpsters and then not be able to get back out. And I, I laid my head back down on the pillow and I went to sleep and I have held the guilt of that all these years that if I had just gotten up out of bed, if I had just made sure somebody was keeping an eye on him, he wouldn't have disappeared that day. What do you think happened? I had a lot of theories at the beginning because there were so many things going on, but I think in retrospect now, you know, hindsight being 2020, it's kind of like Occam's razor. His van was at the airport. He was known to fly even though he didn't have a license. And he was supposed to be, apparently, because of the phone records, he was supposed to be meeting some guy in Texas over some leopards, and he never showed up there. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that he took a small, maybe an ultralight, an experimental plane or something out over the Gulf and crashed. And that's why we haven't been able to find him. Because anything else, I think we would have found wreckage or something. But if he crashed out over the Gulf, that's not likely. And he had crashed three other times, one time in the Gulf. What about the, I believe there was an officer or a detective that came out and said that they were going to relook at the case now that there was so much attention from Tiger King. Did that ever happen? Did you ever hear from investigators? Well, I hope that they look into it and keep looking into it until they find something. Because I think once they do find whatever it is, then I'll be exonerated. But they don't share what they're doing with me other than over the years, like they would find a body and they'd ask me to identify different marks or different kinds of, well, I didn't have to go look at them. They just said, you know, this person has like a titanium thing in his hip. And it was like, no, he has titanium in his head, but not in his hip. And so that sort of thing. Now, you're not part of the second installment of Tiger Creek, correct? Correct. Well, we've seen you in the trailers, though. Um, Now, I I know that there's probably a lot you can't say legally, but it did come out in the news over the weekend that you're at the beginning of this week that you are pursuing litigation against Netflix for or that. Can you explain what that lawsuit is just very briefly for for my listeners and viewers? You're suing them for using footage of you, correct, that you did not authorize? In 2014, and then again in 2018, they asked us to sign a release form for a documentary, which we did. And that was my expectation that it was going to be a documentary. So when um, Tiger King turned out to be such a huge smash for them, they reached out to us and said, hey, we just want to come to you and clear the air. And I said, lose my number. You know, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. There was no way I was going to talk to them about being involved in this again. So when I saw the trailer, I was like, what the heck? They can't keep using that footage over and over and over again. They said one documentary. And so our attorney agreed with us. And I think that we'll win. So did they approach you to participate in it or what was the what did they approach you with? 
when they approached me, the only thing she said was that she wanted to clear the, the air. And I gave you the total of what I said, which was no, lose my number. But I knew that they were going out to other people who had been in Tiger King, trying to get them to sign contracts saying that they would be in the new show. And what I had been hearing from those people is that they were trying to also had changed their release forms to try and make it so that nobody else could talk to those people. They didn't want, from what I'm being told, I didn't see this, but the people were saying that they felt like they were being asked to never tell their story to anybody but the producers of Tiger King. And I thought, you know, that just sounds sketchy to me, because if you're really doing a documentary, then you want the truth to get out. You don't right. want to hide what people know. And so it just, it, it indicated to me that they weren't going to do any better of a job investigating than they did the first time. Because I gave them, I gave them all of the stuff that they needed to have to know that the allegations against me were just pure crap. And yet they chose to paint the story the way they did. Is it, are you not able to sue them for, for defamation of character? I mean, obviously the contracts kind of make it to protect the network but was there no grounds to I mean because if the the narrative wasn't accurate wouldn't you be able to take some sort of legal action against them from the first series I still had time to do that and might oh and they're not paying you for using your image or likeness in this next installment they didn't pay in the first one either. We never charged people to come out and do these kinds of programs. And during the same time that we were working with them, we were working with Mike Weber for five years on his program, The Conservation Game. We didn't get paid to do that. Um, we were also working with um, Michael Samstag on Hidden Tiger, which that one took about five years as well. We didn't get paid to do that. And so those are actually really good films that are out there that talk about Michael's, um, Michael Weber's thing talks about how this whole problem with big cats and backyards started in America is because people would watch people like Jack Hanna and Dave Salmoni and Boone Smith and all of these guys that were going on the talk shows with cubs and you know, they're saying these animals don't make good pets, but they're walking them on leashes and they're playing and they're laughing and they're getting a lot of attention. And people are like, well, I want to pet a cub or I want to be that guy with a tiger on a leash. And that's what caused all of this breeding and discarding of cubs, because once they're about 12 weeks old, they can take your finger off. And so that that's when they become a huge liability and they can't get rid of them fast enough. Wow. What would you say or what? What's something you wish people understood about your mission that you think often gets lost when it comes to big cats? Like what would you like listeners like myself that maybe aren't fully exposed, that maybe just saw, you know, a crazy reality show like Tiger King and doesn't fully understand the scope of how endangered these creatures are or what we can do to actually help them? I think the biggest misconception is that breeding endangered species is saving them from extinction. I can't tell you how many people think that that's true. And it's just a lie. None of the cats that are bred in captivity are legal to set free. You can't do it. It's not legal and it wouldn't work. I mean, it takes their mothers in the case of tigers, three to five years to teach their cubs what they need to know in the wild. And the main thing they teach them to do is stay away from people. So if you're breeding them in captivity and they're constantly surrounded by people and then you were to turn them loose, they would go up to people and they'd get killed because they'd be eating your cows or your chickens or your 10-year-olds. And that's just never going to work out well for big cats. 
So the only way to save these animals from extinction is to protect them in the wild. And that's why I think the idea of having these remote cameras that actually fund their protection is the only way that we're going to do that. And how can people like me support? Is it by donating? Is it by visiting sanctuaries? The biggest thing you can do if you are living in the U.S. is go to bigcatact.com. And we make it very easy for you to send an email or a tweet. We we pre-populate it for you. You can change the text if you want, but we make it easy to know what to say and to make a call to your member of Congress. So all three of those you can do, or you can choose just one, but the calls are the most effective. It's like sending 200 emails to make the call. And if you're afraid to make the call during the day, call at night, call on the weekend. And it actually, um, our system will actually, once you put your address in there, it knows who your members are so that it will pre-populate and send to the right members of Congress to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And that bill does just two simple things. It bans cub petting, which is what drives 90 to 98% of all of that abuse. And it phases out private ownership. People who have them can keep them. They just can't buy or breed more because nobody needs to be buying or breeding big cats for life in cages. Because then it's just profiting at that point, right? You're, you just have your own little manufacturer at home and you're busting out cats just to make money. And then either killing them or giving them away when they don't make money because just one tiger costs us $10,000 a year just in food and vet care, not in the overhead of the sanctuary. Wow. What, what do you feel like when you see like celebrities like Justin Bieber who buy these exotic animals and then they keep them in their backyard? I mean, is that something that you think is a good thing because they have a home where somebody can take care of them? Or do you think that that's further exploitation? They never keep them. They always get rid of them as soon as they can't use them as ego prompts. What would you say to close out the, this interview? What would you say is the biggest misconception about you, Carol Baskin, that you would like to set the record straight on? I think the biggest misconception is that I am some sort of home-wrecking, money-grubbing killer. And that's just not who I am. And if anybody does five minutes worth of research at bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix, they'll actually see all of the receipts that I bring to the transaction to show you that this is not true. Yes, we love receipts on this show, Carol. We love receipts. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, obviously, everyone can go to bigcatrescue. Is it .com? Org. .org, bigcatrescue.org. And what are your social handles for people to go and support you online? We are Big Cat Rescue everywhere that you are. I love it. Big Cat Rescue, guys, go and support. And definitely go check out Carol's receipts. I'm going to be digging into them tonight, Carol. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. You can give me a follow at Just Plain Zach or follow the show at No Filter with Zach. Get ready. We have book club every Tuesdays and we go live every Thursday nights, both at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 9.30 Eastern. So I will be chatting with you guys this Thursday. Get ready. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more tea to spill. I'll be bringing my own receipts this Thursday, just like Carol. Um, definitely be sure to check out Big Cat Rescue. I can't say it enough. They're 
if I'm going to have a platform like this, then we need to be able to use platforms to to spread awareness to good causes. And I think Big Cat Rescue is one of them. And I'm so grateful for Carol's time, for chatting with me, spilling the tea, and bringing more awareness to help support big cats. I love kitties. I'm, I'm more of a cat person than a dog person anyway. All right, guys, I'm going to go and check out those receipts, and I will talk to you next week. Love ya. Mean it. Bye. <laughs>